wonders. Can you eat a nettle? What food comes from the sea? Do potatoes like seaweed? Does honey come from bees? Ever wonder what to grow? Ever wonder what to sow? Let's get in the know. Let's find some pop wonders. Hello and welcome to Pot Wonders, where we have all the answers to the food questions you've been wondering about. I'm Warren, and I'm excited to head out and about to answer your questions. But first, to find out what you're wondering about today, let's check in with our roving reporter, Moses Murphy. You're listening to Pot Wonders, where we wonder about all things food, from sewing it on your plot to cooking it in a pot. Hi, I'm Moses Murphy. I like banana, potato and mango. And I'm Pot Wonders roving reporter. And I'm hungry for answers. Answers to the questions you've always been wondering about. What food comes from the hedgerow? I know one thing that grows in the hedgerow. Nettles. But, hmm, I wonder, can you eat nettles? Let's ask the taste buds. Hi, we're the taste buds. True or false, you can eat nettles. True. Very good. Would you eat nettles? No. No. False. Uh, yeah, you can. How did you know that? Um, I heard because my granny uh, makes nettle soup. False. You can. I tricked you. They were all true. You can eat nettles. True. Yeah, you can. Have you ever eaten nettles? No. Would you eat nettle soup if, you, if, you, if I gave it to you? Yes. Very good. You're very adventurous. Do you like trying new foods? Yes. Very good. True. Would you eat nettles? Um, you can put it in tea and stuff like that. We visited wild food maker and farmer Fiona Falconer to find out more about how to grow and eat nettles. So this is our secret nettle factory. And see all the green? Yeah. yeah. That's all this season's nettle. Just in the last ten days they've all grown up. Whoa. So there's a little bit of parsley at the start. Here. And then these are all our young new season nettles. They've all been grown this year. What's that stuff? Parsley. Parsley. Oh. So we do a raw food pesto. Now what's a raw food? It's when you use raw food in a pesto. Well it means so. you don't cook it. Yeah. You've no cooking because yeah. all plants have things mm. called enzymes in them and yeah. enzymes help your body, help your digestion and a lot of them will, will die off when they're heated, when you apply heat and when you cook things. So we make a raw nettle pesto, which means the sting is still in it. Huh? Oh, God! <gasps> and we also make a nettle syrup. Nettles are full of vitamins and minerals and really high in iron. Yeah. This is nettle syrup and sparkling water. And it's a lovely, refreshing drink. Mm, it's really nice. <laughs> now there's very little sugar in it as well because that's oh. part of what we do is we make sure we don't we only use what sugar we need. Tis mm. a lot different than I thought nettles would. You're drinking nettles, imagine. What do you think, Jack? Uh, this is uh, lovely. Um, I love the kind of sh- uh, sweet. Yeah, I think it's very sweet and it's kind of fizzy as well. That's the sparkling water, yeah. obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sweet. It's not like, it still tastes a little bit like yeast, but it's not the sweet that you would imagine. Oh, yeah. Can I get some nettles? Me. I'll give you gloves. Me. 
Oh yeah, no, I think it's just simply weird. So if you're wearing gloves, you can pick it from anywhere on the metal. Yeah, but the, the, the best part is just the tip. The, the sting is on the underside of yeah. the nettle and Oscar's going to show us it on his microscope over there in a minute. So what you do, if you don't want to get stung, you only touch the top of the leaf. So when we're picking these, we go down on the top leaves and bend them over and use them to protect you. So there you go, no sting. Okay, now just mind you don't brush too near them at the front because yeah. they will sting your legs. Okay, what I want you to do is I just want you to pick, see the tips here? Yeah. So you're picking... Four leaves, that's what you're picking. Yeah, and just pull it. Oh, yeah. On, on the back you can see tiny little furry yeah. spikes. So, shall we go and have a look at these under the microscope yeah. and see what the, what the actual sting looks like? It's well, who's going to go first? Me. Okay, Lucy, you come in here and tell me what you see. Uh, well, the background is kind of green with white. Uh, spikes coming out like white lines. The closer you zoom in, the more spikes you can actually see. It has like in the the sting things are kind of like metal swords on it, and so inside it has all moss in it. Looks like moss, and it has all the spiky swords. That's a really good one. Okay, come on, we'll move up a little bit and get some more of the other ones. Okay, and do you know what we're going to do with this? We're going to make it, we're going to do it like spinach. We're going to just boil it up a little bit and do it with salt and pepper and a bit of butter. And it's Ooh, going to be absolutely yum. yummy. The syrup yeah. is really, really nice. Do you want more? Yes, Help yourself there, Ellen. Here you go. I wonder, did people eat nettles long, long ago? That's a question for our food historian, Dr. Regina Sexton. Long, long ago. When people first started writing in Ireland almost one and a half thousand years ago, there are stories about nettles and people eating them and making them into broths and soups and things like that. So I suppose you could do two big things with nettles. First of all, you could eat them. And the second thing was that they were useful because people thought they were medicine. And the time for eating nettles in particular in Ireland was during the month of May. And on the first day in May, there were some traditions in some parts of the country where the young boys and girls were going around plucking the nettles and they'd run after each other, stinging each other with the nettles. Because I suppose that was the kind of the sign or the signal that this was the start of the nettle eating month. And then you could bring them home and simply boil them and drink the tea like that, like nettle tea. Or else you could mix them in with things like porridge or oats and maybe bits of butter and make a kind of a, a type of a mushy thing with nettles in it. Mm. Uh, so people do that. And, and there was a kind of a rule that you had to have them at least three times during the month of May. And they also thought they were really good for you because they thought that if you ate nettles, they would clean your blood. And they would also be helpful or useful for things like pains. So people liked to eat them for, for medicine during May. And actually, if you then think about nettles and when people analyse nettles today, they can find out that they're full of all different types of acids and different chemicals that are actually 
good for pains and good for rheumatism. So in the past, when people were thinking about these as being good for your blood and good for pains and rheumatisms, they were actually spot on and they were kind of right. So they were very important. They were very important as a kind of a green to eat. And then they were very important as a medicine as well. Earlier, our taste buds were picking nettles in Wexford. But were they brave enough to cook and taste some? So I'm just going to rinse the nettles there for a second in a little bit of water and vinegar. And then I'm going to take a pot of boiling water. So I need to get my my water on the boil. We put those in there. Okay, so you can see the the pot's boiling. Yeah. And I'm just taking the stalks off the, the young leaves on the nettle. Now, I'm immune to stings, so we don't mind doing it by hand. But other people might have to wear gloves. Yeah, just wear a pair of marigold gloves, you know, the washing up liquid gloves. They're perfectly good. Okay, so that should probably be enough for you to taste. Are you getting stung? A little bit. I don't mind the sting. Okay, so we're going to put this into the boiling water. And we're literally just going to give it one or two stirs. You see it's gone really, really green. Okay, that's done. So all you're trying to do is melt the sting, not ruin the plant, the nutrients in the plant. So what we'll do now is I'll just pour this out, a bit of butter. This is the same to who eats spinach? Me! I eat it. I mainly only eat rocket leaves. A little pinch of salt and pepper. Is that salt and pepper mixed in together? No, that one's salt and the other one's pepper. Ah. I'm just cutting it up. Yeah, but if you have a baked potato, if you have fish, really nice on the side with fish, and it's really nice. Who's first for the... Okay, over you go, Jack. Oh, does it taste like stings? Do you like it? Yeah, it's lovely. What's it like? The butter puts a really nice flavour into it, and the pepper, and the nettle is lovely. What kind of veg is it like? Is it like spinach? Yeah, it's kind of like spinach. You like cabbage anyway, don't you? Yeah. You're into that now. Okay, who's next for a nettle? Well, even just after you put in your mouth, all you taste is the... You can taste the smell that you smell off the nettles. You can taste the water. You can taste everything that you put in. And is it nice? It's really good. Okay. What do you think? Mm. It's really nice. And the nettles are a bit strong but the butter just makes it really smooth out and it's really nice. Is it better than cabbage? Um, I have never tried cabbage before. You've tried, you've never had cabbage but you've but had nettles. But you've had nettle. There's a win <laughs> for me. I love that. Okay, Lucy. Oh, the silent judge. <laughs> um, it's really nice, yeah. Uh, I do think that the butter smoothens it out a bit. Um, I've never tried cabbage either. Well, I don't remember trying it anyway. Would you eat that with your your roast dinner? Yeah, I love it. I feel a wonder bubbling in the pot. Time to check in with Moses to see what other pot wonders you have today. Do plants like tea? Do plants like tea? Now that's an interesting question. Let's head to Paddy's Patch to find out. Paddy's Patch! Hello, my name is Paddy and I like to grow my own fruit and vegetables along with flowers and herbs here on my little allotment in Malahide beside the sea. Uh, 
nettle tea is really, really good for yes. the to yes. help the vegetables grow. Yes. And it's much, much cheaper and it's free than going to the garden centre to get some feed. Yeah. Yes. You know, why, why spend money on feed when it's naturally here? Mother Nature yeah. has provided all these nettles for us to go yeah. and make yes. it. So what I need, first of all, I'm going to put on these very thick gloves yes. because nettles, if you pick them up, what happens? They get really sore and sting you. But nettles are really, really, really good for other plants because they contain chemical called nitrogen and that will help our potatoes it'll help our beetroot and help our carrots grow big and strong and juicy so let's yes. go and get some nettles and then i'll tell you how to make the nettle tea okay, okay. Yeah, let's go so the great thing about uh, hedgerows they have everything growing here and there's it's, this is a little habitat for bees and butterflies and other little insects as well you can make your own bug hotel but i can spot over here i can see some nettles so i'm going to come over to these nettles here yeah, so could you hold the watering can yes. for me? And I'm going to explain what we do with the water in a, a little bit, but I'm just going to gather these nettles here. So I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull up these nettles here because I've got gloves on and they won't sting me. Yeah. Now there's about five, six, seven, eight, nine plants here, but I'm only going to pick three or four because I'm going to leave some nettles behind so that the birds can pick at them and all the other bugs can pick at them as well. So it's like sharing. Some stuff for me, some stuff for Mother Nature. It's, yeah. it's a fair deal, is it? So I have all these nettles here. So if you look at the nettles, you can see it has a jagged little leaf, but it is juicy and tasty. It's not only good for the garden, but other people actually make nettle soup and nettle tea for themselves. And it's yeah. very, very good for you. Okay. So we have collected from the hedgerows, we've collected some nettles, and I need you to fill some water into the watering can. We have a little watering spout up here. During the summer, it was very, very hot and we weren't allowed to use hoses, which was a good idea because everywhere got really, really dry. All the grass turned from green to brown because of scorched earth. So we have a little tap here on the allotment. Turn it this way. Fantastic. And we're filling it with half, half fill it. And I'll turn it off now. So we can bring that water down here. And what we need to do to make the nettle tea is we need to cover the nettles in a bucket yeah. and pour in the water and cover off all the light. And right now there's not really a smell from the nettles, but after four or five or six weeks when it's in the water, it gets really pongy, really pooey and very smelly. And that means it's time to use it and pour it onto the plants. You've got the bucket of water? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, come over to this side of the allotment. See over in the corner there, we've got a brown bin. Yeah. And no light can get into that brown bin. So I'm going to put in the nettles and the stalks, everything in. And yes, Addison, will you fill it with water? Fantastic. So the brown bin now, the great thing about this brown bin is no light can get into it. And as soon as we fill it with water, we're going to close the lid and we put a little seal on it. And I'm even going to put a rock on top of the brown bin so no light can get in there at all. And what happens is I'll check it after every two weeks just to make sure that the leaves start to rot down. And every time I come near it, after every week, it gets a little bit more pongier, a little bit more pooier, and that's telling me that it's ready. So I'm going to close the lid, and I'm going to cover the top like that. And I'm going to put it in the corner over there. And in four or six weeks' time, that's going to turn into nettle tea, and that is going to be perfect for yeah. pouring on the plants. Yeah. That was easy, wasn't it? Yeah. That's nettle tea. We know nettles grow in the hedgerow, but what else can you find there? Oh, bees! Bees love the hedgerow. Ever wondered why bees are important? Ha! 
Hi, we're the Taste Buds. Do you know why bees are important? Because they make honey. Bees are important because they make honey. Bees are important because they also, like, they spread new flowers from the pollen of the flowers and they make honey for us, which provides food. They eat the pollen from the flowers and that makes honey. Because they make honey and they collect nectar from the flowers. They collect nectar. And they're important because they make, like, honey and give us food. Mm, make honey. <laughs> and what else do they do? Sting you. They make honey. And what else do they do? They sting people. (laughs) It carries the pollen from one flower to another, pollinating it and then helping the plants and leaves grow. It's just their buzzing that scares me. To find out more about the bee business, I visited a hive and spoke to some bee experts. I'm John Finn. I'm 10 years old and I'm a pro at bees. I'm Matthew Burtonshaw, I'm age 11 and I'm a pro at bees. They actually have five eyes. They can taste through their feet. How did you get into beekeeping or what brought you around bees in the first place? Well, my mom started to do it when uh, she just wanted to get into it. So me and John just went with her a couple of times. Every year we get all the honey. Okay, do you want to be? just opening up the hive to see if we can find the queen. What's in the smoke? What exactly is in there? It's just kind of just some material, simple material. Keep it burning. We have to check every one of the... Every layer, every frame. The dummy board is up the front, remember? Yeah. So we get rid of that first. Is she there? Okay, now look, there's lots of uh, eggs. So she's been laying there within the last two or three days. You think you see her? Let's have a look. That one. Now don't touch her. Ooh. Yeah. Is that out there? Let me see. Here. Pick on around the bottom there. Is it here? Yeah. Gone out on the other is side. Is she hiding? Maybe? The queen is hiding from us. She often oh, would she stay on the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like okay. to stay in the light. So she will go around the back or she might even be on the there wall. There she is. Where? Here you go. You see her? Yeah. She's no. on this side. Oh, I do. I see her. She just came out the other side. There she is, yeah. Wow, she is significantly bigger than the others, isn't she? Yeah. Well done for Spotner. This could be queen cells. We're checking to see. Oh, yes, there is something in one of them. If they might be replacing the queen. Is there something in that? Oh, there, there's one, nothing in one, but there might be something in the other. So what does that mean? Well, maybe there might be requeening. Okay. And how if, often would they do that? Well, if there was something wrong with the queen, queen. or if she was a little bit old they might decide that they're going to make a new queen. Now this one is quite strong, this hive, and we see lots of uh, new brood, open and closed, and we see a very nice Mm -hmm. laying pattern. So, but maybe they've decided to swarm, maybe they've decided they want more room. So when we see these types of eggs, we usually just want to check them to see if they're going into swarming mode. That means that the new queen will come out of here, she'll go and get mated, and then she and half the hive will take off and go and find a new home. <laughs> Which is very successful for them in terms of reproduction, but not very good for us in terms of um, honey production. And when's the best time to take the honey from the hive if you were going to take some? Um, summer. Every year. Down here there's babies. Oh, look, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I think the bee is hopping onto the microphone. He wants to, he wants to do a solo, a bit of an X Factor yeah, moment. He probably wants to say something. <laughs> Maybe he knows where the queen is. Yeah. <laughs> Top secret information. Well, they all do. She sends out a message and it's across the hive within a few minutes. I mean, how do they communicate some kind of a... The, the waggle dance. The waggle round. dance. The waggle dance. And then she's producing pheromones as well. So what is Here's the waggle dance? The figure of eight and then a cross-section through it with the, of the figure on the long run where they, they wibble. The number of waggles determines the distance. We need them for our fruit and for our vegetables. And without them, that we know that we would have so much fewer fruit and vegetables in Ireland. They're going out and they're going around all the different flowers, for example, or trees, and they are getting little bits of pollen on the backs of their legs. So if you see them flying and they have big yellow clumps on the backs of both legs, you know that they're going back to the hive and going to take that in and store it up for the winter. So if you look into the hive, you can see all the different flowers and trees that they have been gathering the pollen on because you'll see a beautiful array of colour from red to yellow to orange, all different colours. Really interesting to see. So we know that like 95% are all girls, but then we need some boys as well. And then once all those, once the summer is gone and you don't need those boys anymore, those bees are mean. They just put them out of the hive. They don't need them anymore, gone. So if we want healthy bees, they have to store up at the end of the summer so that they can get through the winter. So if, they, if it's really windy or really wet or really cold, they cannot get out. They need enough stores in the hive so that they can survive the winter and that they can come through in, say, March, that they can start reproducing again and start getting in another harvest for next year. So like you, it's really important that we keep our hedgerows healthy, that we're not cutting them back at the wrong time, that we're not spraying, because one plant in an area is no good for the bees. They need diversity. It needs to be different flowers at different times coming out all the way through the season. So if we see dandelions in our garden, don't cut that because the bees love dandelions. So also you can plant a little wildflower meadow, lots of different colours for the bees because they can't have the same pollen. They can't stay eating the same flower all the time. And also it doesn't keep growing all the time. So they have to be fed for the whole summer. Time to check in with the Science Buds to find out more. Okay, so I thought we'd do some fun experiments because there's some really interesting things about how bees find the flowers that they want. They use something called static electricity. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay, well, let's demonstrate. I have some lovely yellow balloons here and we're going to use these as our bees, okay? So I'll blow one up for each of you mm -hmm. and we'll get started. Okay, so there's one for you, Fia. We're going to pretend that's your bee, okay? We get one for you, Rowan? Yeah. Okay. There we go. Okay, so we're going to see what happens when Bernard and Buzzy come to visit a flower. So I have a big plate here. We're going to pretend that that's our flower, okay? And what I'm going to do is... Very likely I'm going to sprinkle some pepper onto the plate. And you know what that's going to be? Somebody pollen. mentioned it earlier. Pollen. Well done. Because when they come to visit the flower to get the nectar, the pollen sometimes sticks to them, doesn't it? So there's a plate with pepper sprinkled on it. That's going to be the pollen. Okay. So what we will do is I have a nice woolly jumper here. And we're going to rub this on your bee 
balloons and that's going to charge them up with static electricity because when the bees come to visit the flowers, they do have static electricity. Are you ready? Okay, so let's rub Buzzy the bee with a nice woolly jumper. Okay, and what that does is it puts a little charge all over it and we call that static electricity. Now, Fia, will you take Buzzy? Buzzy's gonna visit the flower here, which is our plate. So you help me here. We'll take Buzzy. And Buzzy's coming near to get... Can you see, is anything stuck to Buzzy? Yeah, little bits. Little bits of pepper. And what did we say they were gonna be? Pollen. So let's give it a really good rub. Rub on your hair and you get lots of static electricity, okay? So let's try this again. Okay, so Buzzy is gonna come visit the flower. Okay, so we bring it over here for you. <gasps> Can you hear that? <gasps> what does that sound like? Pepper going up onto it. He looks like a bee covered in pepper. And exactly, all the pepper jumped off the plate up onto Buzzy when he got near, isn't that right? Yeah. And that's what happens when the bee comes in near the flower. The pollen jumps up and sticks to its body because of something called static electricity. Do you want to have a go, Rowan? Yes, please. Okay. We're rubbing the balloon on Rowan's hair. Now let's be really quiet and see what happens when we bring your bee into the flower. <gasps> I love that sound. All the static electricity comes up and sticks to the bee. Exactly. What is your balloon now full of? Pepper. Pepper. See that for you? It's got lots of pepper on it. And remember we said that pepper was like? Pollen. Pollen in the flower. So that is how the bee uses static electricity to pick up the pollen while he's visiting the flower. But there's something else, you know, bees and flowers, they use static electricity for the flower to be able to say, hey bee, I'm over here. And the bee is able to detect that and go and find flowers that have a particular shape and size. So let's take another balloon here. We're gonna pretend that this is the flower. We're gonna rub the balloon on our woolly jumper here. Get all that static electricity, okay? So Rowan, I'm going to bring it near Fia's hair and you tell me if anything's happening. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, Fia. Do you see something happening, Rowan? All her hair is sticking up onto the flower. So the static electricity is making your hair and Rowan's hair move. Now bees have tiny hairs on their legs. And do you know what? Static electricity from flowers nearby can make those hairs move. And when they do, that bee can tell that there's flowers nearby. I think it's very, very cool. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Imagine that, static electricity. Just because we can't see it, doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah, that's science. Here's the history bit. Long, long ago. The other thing about honey is that before sugar was in Ireland, Honey was the sweetest thing that you could have. So honey was extremely important and it was very valuable. And people thought it was very important and they thought it was almost like a luxury and things like that. And so important was it that they even wrote a special law about bees and how you'd protect your bees. And there's a whole law about bees if they go trespassing. Because what happens, you see, is if I had a farm and I had maybe apple trees 
and the bees were coming in to feed on the apple blossom, the flowers on the apple tree before the apples are there. And if they were taking all of that from my farm, maybe, and they were going back to your house and then you were making the honey from from the apple blossom, you would kind of feel yourself that was a bit unfair. So you might be entitled to some of the honey. So there was a whole kind of complicated system uh, or law of how to protect your bees, how to look after them and how to think about them and deal with them if they were trespassing, particularly in terms of what they were making. And that was the honey. And if you can imagine a world without sugar, we can't imagine that now because sugar is everywhere and almost in lots and lots of foods. But if you had no sugar, the one thing you did have to make things sweet and to give you that lovely sweetie taste was honey. And therefore, that's why the bees were so important. Today, we were talking all about the hedgerow. So here's a hedgerow mindful moment. Today we're going to try bee breathing. Sitting comfortably with your legs crossed, breathe in through your nose, then with fingers in your ears, hum out your exhalation. <sighs> the lovely comforting sound is calming and done with your eyes closed can make it even more peaceful. You're making a humming noise just like a bee in the hedgerow. Now picture this. Think of the sound a bee makes, the short buzzing sound, buzz, buzz, buzz. Have you ever heard the sound of a group of bees buzzing together? It's like a long hum, and it's hard to hear where it starts or ends. The hum gets louder and softer and can sound near or far as the bees swarm about. Let's try it one more time. Let's do our bee breathing. Sitting comfortably with your legs crossed, Breathe in through your nose, then with fingers in your ears, hum out your exhalation. Breathing in, and breathing out. The lovely sound is just like the hum of the bee in the hedgerow. Now we're ready to sit down and enjoy our food. That's all the pot wonders we have for today. All this talk of food is making me peckish, so I'm off to see what's in the pot for lunch. Catch you next time for more Pot Wonders. This series was made with the support of BAI Sound and Vision Funding.